Hello, church family. Thank you for joining us for another message from Res Life Holland. We hope this sermon encourages you in your walk with Jesus and empowers you to live the life God has for you. Now sit back and enjoy today's message. Well, um, it's interesting. There are, there are some of our holidays, some of our holidays that we, we celebrate, for example, Christmas, but we don't know for for exactly sure. In fact, it's actually unlikely that Jesus was born on December 25th. That happens to be the day that we celebrate it. However, when it comes to Good Friday and Easter, we do know because those were correlated with the Jewish holidays and that calendar that has been kept meticulously since then. So, Today is Good Friday because we talk about, or Palm Sunday, because we talk about what happened um, right before Easter and how Jesus came in. How many remember he was riding on a donkey and the people waved the palm branches? And I remember hearing that story in children's church and, and thinking, okay, you know, I mean, they didn't have a dollar store. They couldn't go down and buy pom-poms, so this was what they grabbed. Um, and, and great, that works. But I want to look more closely at it. We realize it was 1,990 years and 11 days ago that Jesus wrote in. We know that exactly. It was March 29th of A.D. 32. Jesus had been at the house of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus in Bethany about three miles from Jerusalem. And he came in to Jerusalem, and he would have come. Can you put the picture up? He would have come through this gate. This is a picture taken from the Mount of Olives of the eastern side of the Temple Mount. And there's a a path that goes up the side there. It wouldn't have looked exactly like that. Now cars can take that road. Of course, that wasn't the case then. But he, he came up through that area. That is the area that Jesus entered and where the people got around and waved these palm branches. Fascinating to me is, you see the gate, can you notice that those aren't doors? It's been sealed. You can't get through. And in front of that gate is a cemetery. This is all like very interesting because... Well, first I want to read the, the, the scripture here, John 12, that sets the stage for what we're doing. It says, the next day a great multitude that had come to the feast. And we're going to talk about what feast they had come to in a minute because that's why we know the date exactly. When they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him and cried out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, King of Israel. This is where they went. Now, The date is known. In fact, it's interesting. This this had been prophesied 490 years. Well, technically the prophecy talked about a 490-year period, but the prophecy had been made by Daniel years and years before. In Daniel chapter 9, 25, this is what it says. It says, know and understand this, that from the time of the the word goes out, To restore and rebuild Jerusalem until the anointed one, the ruler, comes, there will be seven sevens and 62 sevens. Some of your translations, instead of calling it sevens, will call it weeks. 
It will be rebuilt with streets and a trench, but in times of trouble. After the 62 sevens and the, the one anointed will be put to death and will have nothing. The people of the ruler will, who will come to destroy the city and the sanctuary. The end will come like a flood. War will continue until the end and desolation being decreed. So Daniel prophesied that from the word, from the time the word goes out, that there would be these weeks, these sevens. They're groups of seven years. And it comes out to being, I have a sneeze coming. (laughs) Excuse me. All right. So it works out to 400 for 69 weeks, it's 483. For all 70, it's 490 years. And if we go backwards to that, it actually lands on the second decree of King Artaxerxes when he permitted Nehemiah to rebuild the wall. So, I mean, if, if you were alive at the time of Daniel when he said all that, you'd be like, the weeks... Six, You might not have been sure. And then he says, from the time that the word went out, well, just like Egypt, the the Pharaoh had said, you can go, and then said, no, you can't. Oh, you can go. No, you can't. King Artaxerxes did the same thing. So if you count from his first decree, it doesn't land right. If you count from the second decree, which is the one that technically got obeyed, it lands to the year when Jesus would then be crucified. And it says the anointed one would be put to death. So all of this had been prophesied. Zechariah also in in chapter 9 verse 9 says, rejoice greatly daughter of Zion, shout daughter of Jerusalem, see your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Again, This event was prophesied multiple times. And they were five days before Passover. What did Passover celebrate? Passover celebrated when the the, the curse that came on the Egyptians passed over the, the Israelites. Why did it pass over the Israelites? Because they had put the blood of an innocent sacrifice over the door to, pro- to protect them, or, or in essence, it had taken the, sacri- the, the death that would have otherwise visited them. Five days before that Passover, this is when Jesus comes riding in. Now, I wanted to make mention, before I went on, that picture. We looked up at the gate that Jesus would ride through. And we see that it's blocked. Can you put up the second picture there where I'm pointing? If, if you're back farther, you can kind of see. Right there, that gate and that cemetery. It's interesting that in the year 1541, Solomon the Magnificent blocked that gate. It's been blocked multiple times, but he, he's the last one to block that gate. He was a Muslim ruler, and he did it because the Bible prophesies that Jesus will return through that eastern gate. And so they thought, hey, let's block it so that he can't get through. And you know what? It is is unclean for a Jewish priest 
to be around dead bodies. So they put the cemetery in front of it. It's like, you know what? If, he, if the stone wall won't stop him, then we don't want him to come through. We'll put dead bodies all the way around so then he can't get through. How many of you realize if he needs to, he can just raise the dead? Then they're not dead anymore. But here is, here is what is even more fun to me, is that this Muslim leader was trying to block prophecy from coming true. But he missed a prophecy in Ezekiel 44, verse 4. Then the man brought back to me to the outer gate of the sanctuary, the one facing east, that, that one we just saw. And it was shut. The Lord said to me, the gate is to remain shut. It must not be opened. No one may enter it. It is to remain shut because the Lord, the God of Israel, has entered through it. They blocked it so he wouldn't come in. And by doing so, they fulfilled the prophecy that they would block it. God knew that they would shut that and that it would remain shut until he returns. I don't know, for me, that's fine. I like, honestly, when I went to, to visit Israel, that spot right there was the most exciting to me. Because it's not just where something already happened, it's where things happened and things are going to happen again. I said to somebody when I was visiting the other day, I said, if I was a millionaire, I would put a live camera watching this area perpetually on record. Just so that when it happens, I'd have it recorded. So, he came in through the Kidron Valley. He came up that area. The people took their palm branches and they shouted, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord. This was a fulfillment. His arrival on a donkey was fulfillment of a prophecy, a prophecy from Zechariah. His entering that gate, his coming through was a prophecy from Daniel. Also, if we, if we look at Scripture, we see that over and over and over, God uses pictures, and he does things that are types and shadows of what's to come. The Passover was a thing that happened, but it was also a picture of another thing that would someday happen that would be similar to it. In Revelation, after the rapture, it says in chapter 7, verse 9 and 10, After these things I looked and behold a great multitude, which no one could number, of all the nations, tribes, peoples, and tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, saying, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. There is a prophetic picture of a time when you and I will be doing the same thing for him again. The palm branches, in, in my children's church perspective, which were, you know, the cheap replacements for pom-poms that was available, are the same thing that we will be using in the future when if we wanted pom-poms, we could get them. See, the palm branches weren't just what's available. The palm branches have a significant meaning. 
We look at the, the story there, the, the, what the scripture tells us about Revelation, and it tells us a couple of things about the people there. It says that they would be clothed in white robes. It says that they would have palm branches in their hands. And it said, so it tells us what they're wearing, what they're holding, and what they're doing. It says that they would be crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God. They would praise God with a loud voice. Heaven is going to be an exciting place. Not every moment is this moment, but there are going to be some amazing, loud moments. (laughs) I heard somebody say, if you don't like loud, you won't like heaven. And I thought, well, you know, I think even the people who don't like loud are going to like heaven. But there's going to be some loud moments. But I think when we understand those moments, we're going to want to be loud along with them, even if that isn't usually our thing. It says that they would be praising God with a loud voice, and it says that they would be wearing a white robe. Now, why? Isaiah 61.10 says, I will rejoice greatly in the Lord. My soul will exalt my God, for he has clothed me with garments of salvation. He has wrapped me with a robe of righteousness. The, the robe, the white robes, represent the righteousness, the white, clean, right, forgiven, washedness before God. We were given his righteousness. That is part of of what we're celebrating when we think and we say, Hosanna. Hosanna, we sang today. How many of you noticed we sang a song, Hosanna? I'm gonna get into that in a minute, but first, I'm talking about the robes were righteousness, and then the palm branches. See, in ancient time, the palm branch was a symbol of victory. How many of you We're in high school sports, or any sport for that matter. How many of you had like a stack, especially if you participated in something like cross country where you can get a ribbon, you know, frequently. How many of you had a place where you put trophies, ribbons, anything like that? Okay, how many knew somebody with that? All right. When we see those things, what do they symbolize to us? Achievement? victory, they, they accomplished. The palm branch in the ancient time was like the trophy or the blue ribbon. It had meaning. It's a symbol of victory. To them, it, it, it's like seeing the checkered flag at the end of a race. It's like the blue ribbon or the trophy. And in fact, in Ezekiel 40 and 41, it describes the temple that will exist in the millennial reign. And it talks about the decorations and what's going to be on the walls and up. Guess what happens to make the list? Palm branches. Thirteen times. Thirteen times the palm branch is mentioned when it talks about what will be in the, the millennial temple. Why? Because the palm branch represents victory. It represents salvation the bible says in romans 8 37 no in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us 
You are more than conquerors. You are victorious. Whenever, whenever I hear that, I, I remember something. I, I heard a, a preacher say in the 90s, how many of you remember when Holyfield fought Tyson? Okay, it's a famous, famous thing. Uh, famous because of Tyson's weird behavior, but also famous because Holyfield got $30 million, or maybe it was 31, for that one fight. He was the victor, and he got $30 million. And someone said he was a conqueror. When he got home and signed over that check to his wife, she was more than a conqueror. I remember that story. Not that that's a theologically accurate description of exactly what's going, but think about how we share in the victory that Jesus achieved for us because of our relationship with him. We don't have to fight the battle, but we receive the spoils. We are Super victors. It's a, it's a compound word. Super victors. Colossians 2.15 says, Having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. The Roman tradition, when a victory was achieved, was to have a triumph where they would take the, the conquered king or ruler and display their victory over them. And they would famously stand with their foot on his head. Now, what has the Bible pictured of Jesus ever since the very beginning in Genesis? And his heel will crush your head is what, what God said to Satan in the garden. And that picture that the people there were familiar with of what it looks like for there to be a triumph, for there to be a victory, where the victor stands with their foot on the head of the, the defeated, fits perfectly with the language and what Jesus, what had been said of Jesus by God since the very beginning. They would come in on a white horse, crown, right hand. And guess what they would have during a Roman triumph? In their hand, they would have a palm branch. 2 Corinthians chapter 2.14. Now thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ and through us diffuses the fragrance of his knowledge in every place. Leviticus 23, 34 says, Speak to the children of Israel, saying, The fifteen days of this seventh month shall be the Feast of Tabernacles for the seven days of the Lord. We talked about the Feast of Tabernacles, or of tents, and how the Bible said that there was a large group gathered because of the feast. Remember that? This was a feast where the people were to stay in a tent for seven days. They'd call it a booth or a tabernacle. Oftentimes it would be outside. If they didn't have space, they might put it on their roof 
and they would stay there for seven days. But at the end of the seven days, there was a celebration. Nehemiah 8.10 says, Then he said to them, Go your way, eat the fat, and drink the sweet. How about that for a diet? That's what they did on the feast. And send portions to those for whom nothing is prepared. For this day is holy to the Lord. Do not sorrow, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. This is the day that Jesus entered. It was the day of celebration. It was the day of the feast. The pilgrims went to Jerusalem celebrating that they had returned. That that I just read was when Nehemiah was rebuilding and entering back into Jerusalem. The day was called Hosanna Day. They called it Hosanna Day. It was, for many people, their favorite day of the year. It was a testimony that God had delivered them out of Egyptian bondage. He had raised up Moses. He had struck down their enemies. He had delivered them through the Red Sea. He had provided for them in the desert. But they lived in those temporary lodgings to remember what the the Israelites had done before. And how they had had a period of time where they were living in temporary lodgings. But then it would end with Hosanna. Now what does Hosanna mean? I looked up Hosanna. And the explanation I got was an exclamation of adoration. Okay. But Hosanna is a compound word like sidewalk. And right next to the description that Hosanna is an an exclamation of adoration is the two words that make it up. Yasha, na. And if you look at those two words, like sidewalk, Yasha means to be saved or victory. Now remember, not always is there a one-word equivalent when we're translating. My wife is constantly working at, at building um, like questionnaires and these, these things, these measuring tools in different countries. And, and they will say something in, in English. They'll say, you know, I think one of my favorites was when she was, they were writing something and they were asking kids how often they play in their yard. But the translation for play and yard came through to someone looking at it as, as how often do I work in my garden? Wasn't it something similar to that? Yeah. Like, we had to be careful because the word for yard to them included garden, which implied work. And they were trying to ask, how often do you get to recreate around your house? And instead, they were asking, how often do you have to do chores in your garden? (laughs) Oftentimes, a word means, you know, the, the space around my home, but it can have multiple meanings. The multiple meanings of yasha... So we're going to look and, hey, okay, victory. It means victory. All right, what else does it mean? It means to to deliver, to help, to persevere, to rescue, to be safe, to bring salvation, to save, to achieve victory, to have health, and to have freedom. These are the things that are the, the meanings that are incorporated into Yasha. 
So we say victory now, we're also saying salvation now. When we say Yasha, we're saying Hosanna. When we say that, we're saying victory, we're saying freedom, we're saying salvation. We're even mentioning, we're even implying health. It can be translated save now or victory now. Yasha is the is that first part. Na, I kind of jumped ahead of myself, means now. So remember I said Hosanna is actually a compound word. It means Yasha, victory, healing, uh, salvation. Na, now. Victory now, healing now, salvation now. That's what they were shouting when they were waving the palm branches. Hosanna, Hosanna. They were, it was a declaration of adoration. We have been singing that word over and over and over again. But what did it mean to them when they were starting? And I'm just going to read um, from the Strong's Concordance. Yasha, to be free, to be safe, causatively to free or to succor. Sucker is an old-fashioned word for give, give aid. Avenging, to defend, to deliver, to help, to preserve, to rescue, to bring salvation, and to get victory. And the na, they said, is a primitive particle which can be rendered now or then imperative or future or interjections occasionally to an adverb or conjunction i beseech you pray thee go now so the compound word for hosanna is all of this powerful implication of victory and salvation now psalms 118:24 through 26 says this is the day that the lord has made we will rejoice and be glad in it. Save now. Recognize that phrase? I pray, O Lord. O Lord, I pray, send now prosperity. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We have blessed you from the house of the Lord. How many of you recognize that same phrase again? What will we be saying in heaven with our... our we're going to be saying salvation now, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And here in Psalms, they said, this is the day. What is the day? What is the day that the Lord has made? The day of salvation. The day of Hosanna. That feast day. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They, there was a tradition at the end of of the seven days. Why did everybody just happen to have a palm branch around? Because this was the tradition. The tradition was that after you remembered what the Israelites went through for those seven days, living outside of the convenience of your home, but in a, in a temporary tent of some sort, at the end, you would celebrate with a feast. You would take a palm branch which was more than just a pom-pom substitute. The palm branch was a symbol of victory. 
a symbol of salvation, healing. And then you would say, Hosanna, or victory now, salvation now. And here's the tradition, history, history tells us, the Bible doesn't add this, but when we look at other writings, we say they, would have, they had a tradition of going in every direction and saying, Hosanna, or Yashana, 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 Yashana. Why, why would they do it in every direction? Because you don't know where your enemy's coming from, and maybe you've got more than one. But you are declaring victory over all of what is coming or what is present. We were on vacation last week, so I apologize. If I had thought of it sooner, I would have had one of these for every one of you. Instead, we have some for all the kids. But I would have you grab your palm branch. So I want you to do it imaginary anyway, okay? You guys online at home, if you're driving down your car, whatever, I want you to look as ridiculous as possible. <laughs> grab your palm branch and say, Hosanna. Hosanna. What does that mean? Yashana means victory now. Now turn the other direction. Victory now. Turn the other direction. Victory now. And the last direction, victory now. What are we doing? We are celebrating what God has done. It means to be free, to be avenged, to be defended, to be delivered, to be helped, to, be, uh, to, to persevere, to be rescued, to be safe, to have salvation, to get freedom, health, all of that. Psalms 118.26 says, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We have blessed you from the house of the Lord. Who is he who comes in the name of the Lord? Who is that? That's Jesus. We read that a great multitude, so we go back to that day and we think about what happened on that day. You can put up the picture of that, that empty the space there that were there where Jesus went up. The Bible says that the crowd that had just been celebrating what the Israelites had gone through and were about to picture the salvation that their ancestors had experienced, recognizing it is a picture of the salvation that is coming to them. They came and they celebrated on that path as Jesus came in. Psalms 98. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have gained the victory. They came in, they cried out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. First Corinthians 15:57 But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. He made that for us. That is our day. Now Job 22:28 says this. It says, "You will also declare a thing and it will be established for you, so light will shine on your ways." I want to avoid seeming guilty of generalization. However, there are few Jewish books written trying to convince their fellow Jews that they 
deserve to prosper. Why? Because it is deeply taught already in their teachings that they are to declare a thing and it will be established for you so your light will shine in your ways. You realize that we have been instructed to declare God's victory over our lives, God's salvation over our lives, God's healing over our lives. And as unpopular as it might be with some people, did you guys notice the references to prosperity? We are taught by God's word to declare those things over our lives. The palm branch is a reminder of God's victory, salvation, which includes health, prosperity, relational wholeness. 2 Corinthians 9, 7, and 8. So let each one of you give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you that you will always have, always having all sufficiency in all things may have an abundance for every good work. Abraham was blessed. He had the Hosanna Blessing. During difficult times, we are to focus and declare God's purposes and Hosanna. When we sing Hosanna, it is not just a Christianese word. And, and even, I mean, think about this though. Outside of the church, have you ever heard someone say Hosanna? No. Hosanna and Hallelujah. Like, we've got the corner on the market for those words right there. <laughs> but do we understand what was meant by it, by the people who said it, by the people who we are repeating? Psalms 118, this is the day the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Save now, I pray, O Lord. What are they saying? Salvation, wholeness, victory, triumph. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. This is the beginning of what many people call Holy Week. Next week we have Easter. And again, we know the date that Jesus entered, and everyone was shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna. A week later, do you remember what everyone was shouting? Crucify him. It was the same multitude. It, it may not have been the exact same group, but it's pretty unlikely that there wasn't overlap. They thought, well, he's going in and he's going to overthrow the Roman government today. And we're going to be liberated. They didn't understand 
the process by which their salvation was coming. And they got frustrated. There's a message in that for us. You see, if Jesus had put his confidence in, in what people said of him, how many realize it would have changed rather quickly? We can't do that either. You see, there will be days when people speak highly of you. There will be days when they don't. We need to find our worth, not in what they have said, but in God's promises to us, God's purposes for us, the intrinsic value that He has given us as His children. Because if, if you are following what people say, then, on March 29th, you're high up. A week later, you're down. And then, we know it, a week later, you're back up, you're back down. And so many of us find our affirmation, our value, in those things that are being said by, by those around us, saying, okay, this is how I measure the value that I have. I want to encourage you, don't do that. Like it said in Job, speak and declare what God has said about you. Remember and know what God has promised about you. Jesus came, and we're going to talk next week about his death, burial, and resurrection, and it's going to be good. And I just want to encourage you, if you haven't already invited a friend or family to church, there is, there is hardly a better time than Easter. There are so many people who on a typical Sunday, wouldn't come, but on Easter they would. So I encourage you, invite somebody. Let them know that you'd love to sit with them at church next week and talk and listen about his death, burial, and resurrection. And I, I'm excited because I know what most of you guys know, that it is because of his death, burial, and resurrection that we are saved that we are forgiven, that we have that righteousness that those robes represented. What does righteousness mean? Right standing with God. Innocence legally before the Lord. How many of you have ever read uh, a declaration about someone who went to court and it says they were acquitted? You know what that means to them? They're free. They are completely innocent in the eyes of the law. Now, does it necessarily mean they didn't do it? No. 
It means that all guilt and all responsibility is gone. You and I were guilty, but that guilt has been washed away. That's what it looks like. That's what it means to be righteous. It means whatever the consequences would have been are now legally removed. And we have the right standing of Jesus Christ. If you know you have been forgiven and you have the right standing that Jesus gave you, I want you to raise your hand. Hosanna. Awesome. Salvation. Now, if you hope, wish, want, but don't know, the Bible says know that you have salvation. It says in Romans 10, 9, and 10, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus died on the cross and believe in your heart that he rose from the dead, you will be saved. What does that saved mean? It means forgiven. It means no longer responsible for the guilt that you otherwise have. If you desire to confidently know that you are forgiven, I want to take, a tan- t- take the time to make that happen today. With every eye closed, and those of you watching online as well, if you know that you want that confidence, if you don't know where you stand with the Lord, but you desire that assurance, we can follow what Romans 10, 9 says, and because of God's promise, we will know that we are forgiven. If that's you, just raise your hand right where you are, driving down the road, sitting at home. It's not for me. Now, Let's pray all together. Say, dear God, I believe that you sent your son, Jesus, who died on the cross to pay for my sin, that he rose from the dead, victorious over sin and the devil. I accept your forgiveness, and I choose to make you the ruler of my life. I live for you. Thank you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. If that was you, come on down front afterwards. We have a gift we'd like to give you. If you're online, please let us know. Put a comment either under the video you're watching or send us a direct message, a private message. We will get back to you with a digital copy of that same book that we'd like to give you to help you with your next steps. Awesome.